year ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. <laughs> Here's my card. Bruce, this is Harvey Dent. Rachel's told me everything about you. I certainly hope not. You once told me that we'd be together. Did you mean it? Bruce, don't make me your only hope for a normal life. You're Alfred, right? That's right, sir. Any psychotic ex-boyfriends I should be aware of? Oh, you have no idea. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Well, hello, beautiful. You look nervous. I've seen now what I have to become to stop men like him. The night is darkest just before the dawn. I promise you, the dawn is coming. And here we go. Come on. This city deserves a better class of criminal. I'm gonna give it to him. No! You'll see. I'll show you. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Will you be wanting the bat putzer? In the middle of the day, Alfred? Not very subtle. The Lamborghini, then. Much more subtle. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. It is indeed time for another episode of IPC, also known as the Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Zach and I am so excited that you've chosen to spend the next couple of hours with us here on this awesome program with an awesome discussion topic and a really awesome co-host. Before I go any further, I'm going to bring in my good friend, my good buddy, Mr. Benjamin Hart. How's it going, guys? Glad to be here. Glad to be discussing what we're going to be discussing tonight because uh, I would say we've been looking forward to it for a long time, but we've actually we've been away from it for a long time. This and we're going to be revisiting it tonight, so this, it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. It's a flashback Friday, or a throwback Thursday, or a wayback Wednesday, whatever the heck day you're listening to this podcast episode on. It's a revisited episode. This is something that we've never done before. We've done commentaries of movies that we have discussed before, like when we watched The Avengers a few weeks ago. 
but we've never gone back and rediscussed a movie before. But tonight we're doing that mostly because the last time we discussed this movie, I wasn't present. And so when we were coming up with our 2019 schedule, there was like an open week here. And we're like, oh, well, we could do a top five or we could do something else. And I'm like, you know what? Dadgummit, I have not gotten to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'm going to finally do it, damn it. <laughs> so, Ben, I appreciate you humoring me on this. But I also just appreciate the fact that we get to talk about one of the greatest movies of the last decade. If you can believe that. This movie is over 10 years old now. Crazy. It's such a crazy thought that this movie is over 10 years old and it still stands the test of time. Tonight's revisited episode is one that we have not discussed since we were in the double digits. I went back and looked through our show notes. I went back and looked through our show reel on ipcpodcast.podbean.com. The last time this movie was discussed was episode 64. Wow. Tonight's episode is 229. It has been 165 episodes, also known as over three years since we have talked about this movie. That's just, oh my gosh, yes. It is high time that we revisit The Dark Knight a Christopher Nolan classic with Christian Bale and Heath Ledger and an all-star cast that surrounds them. That is our topic for tonight, among a couple of other news bits that we're going to take care of as well. But our main topic is that classic 2008 film that uh, a follow-up discussion, in my opinion, is long overdue. Oh, absolutely, and it's a, it's a crying shame. And, and seriously, apologies that we didn't have you on that show for whatever no, reason. No, happened. no, no, it was it was my own fault, man. It, I I chose to spend that weekend with uh, with my girlfriend, uh, and that was two girlfriends ago. <laughs> this this podcast has lasted longer than two romantic relationships <laughs> wow wow well i i, I know we you know we had jay you were talking before the show we had uh, our good buddy jake damon on um he was still around back then he's been with us for years um and uh yeah it, it was a lot of fun but i mean this is up there on i think this is one of your top five movies you'd never say no to it is rightfully so so it's it's a crying shame that you weren't on that episode, so yeah, we get to we get to rectify that situation and and get you on and actually have a have a, a good discussion about proper discussion about it. Not that it wasn't proper with Jake, but you know, I had one with you with him, and now one with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it would have been interesting if if we could have been able to schedule Jake for this episode, but we had our own scheduling conflicts that led to like a rescheduled episode recording and all that sort of stuff, like. It was it was just a crazy weekend, so I'm just glad that we're finally here to sit down and talk about it and get to do what we're calling a revisited episode. And if you are interested in us doing more revisited episodes, something that's in the show reel that you enjoyed listening to the first time but maybe want to hear our thoughts on it again, because here's the deal. Over the course of four years, people change. Can, can, can I get an I, amen? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a thing. You know, we our thoughts change, everything changes. So, and I, here's the thing: 
I don't even remember what I said on that episode. I don't remember <laughs> it. So it's like, uh, like I could go back and listen, but no, I'm not doing that because I don't do that. I don't listen to my own no. podcast. No, no, that's, that's I don't. A, I don't. No, no. I don't go back and listen to myself unless I'm the one that's like recording and and editing the episode. Uh, <laughs> other than that, I like hit the mute button when I'm looking at the 11:38 chat. And I don't go back and listen to previous episodes unless I absolutely have to. So, no. no. It, th- that episode that happened 165 episodes ago, that is a thing of the past. And it's it's time to focus on the present. And the, the really cool thing is I stayed up really late last night watching the movie again. And I opened up my DVD case for the first time in months and realized I have a Flickster digital download code for this movie. Wow. And I didn't realize that I had that. And so now not only do I get to have the movie on disc, but I get to have it on digital as well. So I'm a happy camper. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, but you're right. It is one of my top five movies that I will never say no to. And uh, the other ones include the likes of The Empire Strikes Back, Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and shoot, what was the other one? Um, there's another movie. Dark Knight, I should know Empire, Empire Strikes Back, Jurassic Park, Guardians of the Galaxy, and it kind of rotates. Sometimes I'm in the mood... Oh, The Lion King. Of course. The Lion King. I was about to say Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, which it is a really great movie. It really, really is a great movie. But, you know, it's been probably a year, year and a half since I've seen Curse of the Black Pearl, and I don't miss it. And, and and I don't mean to say that detrimentally, but I think the last time I watched Curse of the Black Pearl was when I watched it so we could discuss it on this podcast. That was the first and last time for me. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but I just I haven't gone back to it in a while. Right, um, right. Yeah. And so I think it's going to go into one of those top ten favorite movies categories uh, because um, because it's like one that I can watch but also walk away from. Every now and again, I've got to go back and rewatch Empire Strikes Back. Every so often, I've got to go back and rewatch Jurassic Park just to remember the brilliance of it. And speaking of Jurassic Park, do you know what I'm doing next weekend? I think I may have heard about this, but please tell me. One week from tonight, this is March the 16th of 2019, on the 23rd, next week, I am going to the Fort Worth Symphony and Orchestra and the symphony is going to be playing the soundtrack of Jurassic Park over the movie. Oh my! They're going to play the movie on the big screen, but all the sequences that involve John Williams' iconic score of that movie are going to be played by the Fort Worth Symphony Orchestra. And wow. I could not be more excited. I I have not been to the symphony in so long, and to be able to hear one of my favorite film scores of all time and watch one of my favorite movies of all time, I think it's going to be pretty epic. <laughs> That's so, oh man, I have I've done the orchestra you, thing with John Williams, you know. You and, did it. You did it with Star Wars, right? Yes, I did it with Star Wars. But I didn't actually see a movie. We just did an orchestra. Uh, That's uh, on my bucket list to actually watch one of the films. With an orchestra, that sounds so, amazing. So I think um, I think the next movie they're going to do is Indiana Jones, but around the corner, probably like come this wintertime or something like that, they're going to do Empire Strikes Back. Oh, oh that's going to be good. Oh, that's gonna be great. man. 
This is one of the most novel concepts ever because just sitting and listening to something like Mozart for a couple of hours, yes, it is enjoyable for a certain period of time. <laughs> but if you want to keep the next generation coming to the symphony, this is exactly what you have to do. You have to show them movies with amazing film scores. Why not do Schindler's List, you know? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, like yeah. why not do something that's compelling like that? And 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 this is how you you get the next generation to come to the symphony is you play the movie and play the symphony music over it. And so I'm really, really excited, and uh, I'm excited to talk about the stuff we've got to talk about tonight. I keep getting sidetracked. Uh, it, it, George in the chat, George Rivera is a long, long-time listener uh, here on Channel1138.com. For any of you listening on iTunes and Google Play, uh, we thank you for tuning in there. But our friend George actually just got ahead of us as far as the news elements because I got sidetracked. Thank you, George. <laughs> he, he has helped remind us. That the first bit of business we need to talk about before discussing The Dark Knight is that it has been officially announced James Gunn is returning to the Marvel Cinematic Universe to work on the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. Yeah. I don't yeah, I, I don't I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about that. I am so excited about this. I was just shocked to hear this, to be honest. I thought, and I know there's a lot of varied opinions about him getting fired and the, and the circumstances surrounding that, and even I had some mixed feelings about it, but at the same time, ultimately came down to, like, I don't think he should have been fired. I think it was kind of an overreaction, and apparently Disney agreed because up in, you know, yesterday as of recording this, the, the, the news started coming out. Deadline actually reported it first and said, hey, this is happening. They've rehired him, and then James Gunn himself posted a uh, response to this. Disney hasn't commented on it, but James Gunn has confirmed it, and it's just shocking. I I didn't think Disney would ever swallow their pride like that and just rehire him, um, but they did, and that is great. He's going to do Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and he's also going to be doing the Suicide Squad movie, Suicide Squad Two, which is I think was just confirmed today, is going to be a full on reboot. So yeah. he's going to do that movie and then move on to Guardians 3. So he lucked out in the deal. He really oh. he got the he got the good end of the deal of that. He got a DC and a Marvel movie just from getting fired. I mean, he he became a a piece of news due to the controversy. Right. And I, in my opinion, he did exactly what a celebrity in his circumstance is supposed to do. He yes. owned it. He apologized for it. And he said, that is not a representation of who I am or what I stand for today. And that goes back to my point earlier about people change. Exactly. You know, our, our opinions on this movie may be four years different than what we, what we were saying the last time we listened. So people change. And I feel like Gunn has definitely changed from ten years ago. And you're right, he definitely got the better end of the bargain on this, because not only does he get to work with DC, but he gets to come back to his favorite Marvel franchise that even Taika Waititi himself said he would not dare touch. Yeah, yeah, you had a lot of, like, a lot of people were throwing around names, Taika Waititi was one of them, and all of them said, like, nah, that's James's thing, like, that's that should mm -hmm. be his, and mm -hmm. thankfully they got their wish. And, like, the whole thing with his old tweets, like, I get it. Like, it was bad, and a lot of people were like, hey, that's not a good thing. But even James Gunn was saying he never once defended what he said. Like, he always was like, yeah, I've, I've, I said those things. 
I'm sorry. Like, he, he, he apologized multiple times when they first came out, and then when it was actually brought up, and he was eventually fired over it. Um, and what can you really expect more from him, honestly? Like, what, what, right. what possibly could he do right. more than what he already did? And there's been certain celebrities. Um, like, I think Kevin Hart, for example, like... He had the whole thing oh, with the Academy yeah. Awards, and he was up yeah. for that. And then people brought up some old tweets of his, and instead of kind of owning them and saying, "Oh, I'm sorry," he was like, "Well, that's just the way it is. I'm a comedian, or whatever." And he kept kind of going back and forth with it, and he got fired from the job. Well, he just got really defensive over it, right? Like there, there, there are some things that you can try and defend your name and your honor over, but when you've got, you know, like internet data that explicitly shows what you said there's no way you can really kind of cover that up right. and and gun recognized that he said no i'm not going to try and cover it up i'm going to own it and apologize for it you know not just own it in the sense that he's proud of it but own it in the sense that he's like yes that's who i was no that's not who i am and if, if you've been on the internet anybody anybody that's been on the internet knows what it's like to go look at something old you posted and oh, then go, dude. oh, God, why did I say that? Dude, time hop is my worst enemy right now <laughs> because I joined Facebook back in, like, I don't know, 2008 or something like that, 2009. I've, so been, I've, I've been on Facebook almost 10 years, I think. Like, it's I've crazy. got, like, a decade of information that is still logged in my Facebook account. And I'm looking back at some of my old stuff. Like the other day, I posted this this post about how I was in mourning because the Texas basketball team lost. <laughs> like the like the the University of Texas Longhorns. Apparently, I was that big of a super fan back in the day that when they lost their game in March Madness, I tried to make a promise to myself that I would only wear black until they won a game in March Madness the next year. <laughs> Oh, wow. I don't feel like that promise went over very well because I owned, like, two black shirts at the time. No. <laughs> so, yes, the people that we were 10 years ago are sure as heck not the same people that we are 10 years later. I've got quite a few more black shirts, but no, I don't wear them over a, a, a sports team losing a game. People lose games all the time. You know, it's just it's just one of those weird things where you learn from who you were to become a better you of the future. And I feel like that's what James Gunn has done. And I'm excited to see the new Suicide Squad movie, yeah. what he's going to do with that. Because here's the deal. The original Suicide Squad looked like it was trying to copy from the original Guardians of the Galaxy. They had, like, a, a soundtrack that they were playing from. And they even used Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky in their soundtrack, yeah. which was also used in the Guardians soundtrack. So it's almost like they are directly borrowing in certain cases, and now they've got the guy who worked on it working on their franchise as well. And in addition to that, it's like as if that wasn't good enough, we now are going to get Guardians Volume 3 from the man himself. It's a win-win-win-win, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> and it is. And I... I could not be more happy for how things turned out, and I could not be more excited to see what the future holds for James Gunn and his creative teams. Because if if he can do well on both uh, comic book platforms, he has just 
made himself that much more available to different franchises hiring him out and and doing even more in Hollywood, which is so cool. Yeah, yeah, and there was you know I'm especially excited for Guardians three now because <clears throat> you like if is say another director comes in and takes over that project like there was always going to be this dark cloud hanging over that movie and you had the entire cast came out in support of James Gunn right after it happened um Dave Bautista was especially very vocal about oh, how he was yeah. not happy and he was willing to break his contract and leave Disney and go do something else to you know to support his friend and that's that's tough stuff and so like that would have been really awkward and really kind of painful to watch that kind of go through and have not James Gunn kind of off sidelined, basically doing his movie. They were talking about doing using his trip. Now he can do it. Now everything's back the way it was. They can do it in the story how he wanted to, and the cast is happy. I'm sure you know that can only hurt like people's like your performances like that for the cast and stuff like that and the crew like. This is going to be better for everyone, and people are actually going to be excited about this movie instead of like, oh, is there? Are they going to stay true to James Gunn? No, James Gunn's doing it. Like that's the that's the beauty of it. It is a beautiful thing, uh, and even if it does take a little while for Guardians three to come around, we're going to get some really good other movies in the meantime. We're probably going to get another Thor sequel from Watiti. We're probably going to be exploring Spider Man's adventures for quite some time. We're probably going to get another Ant-Man movie. You know, we're still going to have our adventures. We're still going to be out in space. I mean, Captain Marvel is set in space. Yep. And, uh, you know, we, we've both seen that movie now, and uh, we're going to be talking about it in the not-too-distant future. So that's something to look forward to here on the show. So there's definitely the opportunity for more space adventures, even if they don't center around the Guardians. But when they do, man, am I going to be excited. That franchise is probably... One of my favorites of the MCU, and I'm glad that it's returning. Yeah, and and someone else pointed this out online that James Gunn will be the first MCU director to finish a trilogy, to do a complete trilogy. Oh, that's true. That is true. You you've got different superhero trilogies uh, in this uh, in this universe, but never from the same director. Right. Right, they've always huh. they're they're always. I mean, Avengers to Thor, every, all of them. I mean, you've got several Captain America. Yeah, yeah. you've got several Iron complete Man. trilogies now, but none of them have been had the through line. I think at the end of the day, Guardians is going to be the strongest and the most consistent out of all of them. And that's thanks largely in part to one James Gunn. Mm-hmm. Now, while talking about the Avengers. I think it's only fitting that we spend a few minutes talking about this new Endgame trailer that we got. <laughs> it dropped in between uh, these two episodes, these two previous episodes that we've recorded. Uh, so it's only fitting that we, we spend a little bit in the MCU before we go over to DC and, and all of the darkness that surrounds it. Um, this This trailer gave me hope. Mm-hmm. And and a bit of nostalgia as well, because I think about half of the trailer is like flashbacks from some of the original Avengers. And yeah. so so you're, you're getting to see their past and look at their present, their evolution of character. And at the same time, you're feeling like maybe there's a chance, a, a tiny beacon of hope out there existing that just maybe... Something can be done about what Thanos did in Infinity War. 
been telling everybody they should move on. Some do, but not us. Even if there's a small chance, we owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. We will. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. funny this trailer to be honest didn't do a whole lot for me but at the same time i like that it like half of the half of it is like you said flashbacks and it looks at older films and i just love that they're they're keeping the lid on this thing they really are and if if you've seen some of the spoilers if you've seen some of the set photos you know where this is going i'm not gonna say where it's going we've talked about that before um but they're keeping the lid on this, and I appreciate that. I, I'm glad that they know people are hyped for this movie. They don't need to be necessarily sold on it. They know that people are going to get their People know want to know what happens after Infinity War. They've seen that movie. We're on the edge of our seat, and now we're just waiting for this movie to see where it all goes and how, how they get out of this. And it really, it, it's it tantalizing. And a lot of great shots, a lot of great stuff. We can't, we don't have a whole lot of time to to do a full trailer breakdown. We could do an entire episode, I'm sure, just on this trailer, but it's... Oh, I'm sure we could. It's <clears throat> I, it's very, very close. April. April. What? Isn't April that it's coming out? April 26th. Yeah. My birthday, yeah. How did I forget that? Which How did you forget your own birthday, yeah, dude? Yeah, I know, I know. I know. A little over a month away, which is insane. Which, it's it's also a little close to the release to finally have a full trailer. But better late than never, I suppose. Yeah, they they held out on this. They gave us the two little teasers, and this one, I'm guessing we won't get much else, honestly, other than some TV spots. Yeah, I'm not expecting a whole, whole lot, because like like we've been saying, it's like, what, five, six weeks away? Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't need a whole lot more. And the fact that they've been keeping a lot of it under wraps and the hype is still there is actually pretty cool. Like, I'm seeing this, this, this post going around Twitter right now about what your approach to Endgame needs to be. And it's like, you need to go with someone who is going with the intent to find out the answers to Infinity War. You don't need to be going with somebody who's going to be poking you in the elbow and asking you a whole bunch of questions. You need, you both need to go in there with the expressed intent that you are looking for a resolution to the problem that happened a year ago. Yep. And I could not agree more. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I, I don't know if this is a movie that I'm going to like take a date on. I, I might just go myself the first time, for all I know, for all I care. No distractions. Just, just right. go by yourself. Just focus on the movie. Don't need to focus on if they need to go to the bathroom and they're going to miss something or if they're eating too much popcorn. You know, I'm not going to worry about any of that. I'm just going to worry about seeing how this storyline plays out. Is, and, is that Chris you know, Evans? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this trailer, like, got me more excited for this movie. 
but it definitely like reminded me of how close it is, and that reminder got me excited. Yep, absolutely. So, be sure to stay tuned for that because I think our schedule is set up in a way that we're actually going to have multiple end game discussions because something tells me we're not going to get it all in one episode. Yeah, well, for Infinity War, we had like a giant, like four hour. Like live podcast, just a, just um, a giant so roundtable. We may of do something similar to that again because I feel like this one's going to be one we're going to be talking about for a very long time. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. And speaking about talking about something for a very long time, I would like to devote the rest of this episode to talking about one of my five favorite movies of all time. Absolutely, absolutely, oh, dude. The Dark Knight. Like I said, I watched it last night to kind of refresh myself on the movie, just to make sure that everything was still very fresh in my mind, fresh in my memory, that I hadn't forgotten anything or any of the quotes or anything like that. And I caught myself several times quoting along with the movie. That's how many times I've seen it. That's how big of a fan I am of it. I'm like saying the lines with Harvey Dent, with the Joker, with Batman, Mm -hmm. uh, with Alfred. You know, it, there's there's just so many awesome elements about this movie, and um, I was I was just blown away by how well it still holds up almost eleven years later. Yeah, you're you right. know this this movie came out in two thousand eight, and it's two thousand nineteen, and this movie still excites me it still keeps me awake it still keeps me on the edge of my seat i think i started this movie at like 11 30 or something because i was working last last night and then i spent some time with my parents and then i went home and like started some laundry by the time i got around to actually starting the movie it was somewhere between 11 30 and midnight and this movie's over two and a half hours long so it was like almost between 2 and 3 a.m by the time i was done but I watched the whole damn thing in one sitting. Didn't have to pause it. Didn't have to go on a restroom break. Didn't have to go on a snack break. Didn't take a nap. I was awake and alert through the whole thing. And it just reaffirmed for me this idea of what I, des- what I mean when I describe top five movies I never say no to. Mm-hmm. Because those, those five movies that I mentioned, I have a belief, and I still hold to this belief, that no matter what time of day it is, no matter what my mood is, no matter how many times I've seen it, if somebody asks me, if anybody asks me if I ever want to watch this movie again, I will not say no to them. And I started this movie at almost midnight, and it did not hamper my viewing experience. So no matter what, I don't think I'm ever going to say no to watching this movie. How could you? How could you? This movie is, it's so engaging, and it's so, like, keeps you on the edge of your seat, and it's a, it's a long one. Like, I, I didn't, I forgot that it's, like, over oh, two, yeah. it's over two and a half hours long. I'd say it's a long movie, but it keeps you on the edge of your seat the entire time, and it just, you know, keeps ratcheting up the tension, and the, 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 the acting, the, the cinematography, everything is outstanding like it really is a near perfect film i think you'd be hard-pressed to actually find a flaw in it to be honest um you know and i i just 
it's it's everything you'd want in a Batman film. And it's it's funny how I was thinking about this today. How I I think this may not not even be a Batman film. I think. Oh really? I think. It's funny, we, we're, we're, we, we've been, we, earlier this year we talked about, you know, Joaquin Phoenix and, and the Joker movie is coming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that looks good. Joaquin Phoenix, great at this, as the Joker. I'm sure he'll do fantastic. I feel like it's not the first Joker movie. I think this is a Joker movie. That's a good point. I totally think that the Joker steals the show in this one. And he, oh, I think, yeah. And I don't have the facts to back it up, but I would suggest that he may even have more screen time than Batman. Like, oh wow, like, that's a bold, that's a bold claim. Like, I'm not talking about Bruce Wayne. I'm talking about Batman in the costume versus the Joker. I think he may have a bit more screen time. He feels like he's a bigger presence, and he's a through line the entire movie, and he's just there, and he's, I don't know. That performance is just incredible, and you're following him, and you're just fascinated by him because he's controlling everything. The whole movie stems; it revolves around him because everyone is trying to stop him, and he's got everyone eat out of, eating out of his hand. Um, it's just it's astounding how well they kind of treat this and how well they execute the Joker as just this taking this really at times an absurd character, just an absolutely absurd, crazy comic booky, you know, to the next level type of character and turning him into this absolutely terrifying realistic sadistic villain that is so unpredictable, so charismatic too. And, you know, like this guy who you're just you're 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 just sucked in anytime he's on screen. Okay, so I I did like a a, a quick check on on your on your theory oh. about about screen time and this this is just one article that i found so i'm not going to like claim 100% credibility on this but it it's one of those listicles about actors who didn't get as much screen time as you thought they might and according to this article the dark knight is 2 hours and 32 minutes in length and the Joker appears for 33 of those minutes. Wow. So it's only like a fifth of the movie wow. that he shows up in, that he's actually in. But there's so many things about him that it's like his presence is there even when he's not on screen. Exactly. Exactly. It, so it like, sells the deception of the Joker always being omnipresent and always right. being there and always always being a menace a phantom the... menace if you will <laughs> i see what you did there ah uh, but, but here's 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 what i think is he wanted to institute chaos yeah he he wanted chaos and anarchy to reign and rule in gotham and his methods proved so effective that his influence was shining through even when he wasn't on screen. So there, there's moments where you've got uh, uh, vigilantes dressed up as Batman and, and, and the Joker captures one of them and it's got him on screen. 
You know what I'm, you know the scene that I'm talking right, about right, where right, they show right. the video, like the graphic video? You see the Joker for like three or four seconds when he turns the camera around back on him. But it's a moment of chaos because he's wreaking havoc in somebody's life and across Gotham, even without his physical being showing up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, and then, yeah. And then, and then there, I mean, there's so many moments that are similar to that. Like when the judge is told to go to a safe house and she gets into her car and she opens the envelope and it just says up. And then her car blows up and like a million Joker cards go flying everywhere. The Joker's not on screen, but his influence is felt. Exactly. And there's so many scenes when things blow up, stuff happens, people are killed, and the Joker's not there. But you know right. he did it. Like, right. And you know he has his, I guess, goons just working around the clock to do all this crazy, crazy stuff and, and you know, scheming and you know, keeping, you know, keeping ahead of things, even when he's, I mean, you get to that big scene and we'll get to that, you know, when he's, (laughs) when he's finally captured, the biggest thing in the movie happens. Darby Dent and and Rachel are taken and they're, they're helpless. And, and the Joker's like, you've, you've got nothing. You've got nothing on me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm here and I've, I did my dirtiest deed while you had me here. Right. And, and again, that just shows his power. You know, he, he's got such influence over street life, <clears throat> street life, criminal life, mob life, that he is basically tearing Gotham apart from the inside out. And to some degree, this type of, of purge that he has instigated, not like the movie The Purge, but it, it's almost like a cleansing, if you will trying to hit the reset button on Gotham, if you will, is along the lines of what Ra's al Ghul wanted to do in Batman Begins. Right. Right. And and I find that really interesting that Ra's tried to do it by instigating fear and, and causing, you know, your natural fears to take over your life and just create chaos in the individual which then leads to chaos in the masses. The Joker's method is almost the opposite. He has no plan, if you will, and he mentions that a couple of times. I think in in one instance he says, do I really look like a guy with a plan? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. His plan is to scare the masses. He does things that scares groups of people on a large scale and makes them question themselves as a human race, as a collective. And I think that's what makes this movie beyond just an action movie. There are some really great action sequences, but I think the psychological aspect, the thriller aspect, the questioning your humanity aspect, those are some of the elements that are beyond what you get in a regular superhero movie. And that's a credit to the writing. It's a it's a credit to the way that it was executed uh, by Heath Ledger and, and everybody else that's a part of this cast. But it's just a real testament to how complete this movie is. Because you have great music. You have great acting. You have great writing. You've got great cinematography. You've got just about everything that you could want in this movie. And that's what keeps you engaged. It's what keeps you compelled 
to watch it for the entire two and a half hours that it goes on. There's just always something going on. There's never like a down moment or a slow sequence. And 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 you just are along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I love about this movie is it's not one that I sit down and critique. It's one that I sit down and enjoy. Yeah, it it is definitely has that effect of you're not you're not going, "Oh, there's this problem and there's this problem and I wish you hadn't done this or whatever like normal quote unquote normal movies are." Um it's just an enjoyable ride because everything is done so so well. You know, I mentioned the cinematography earlier. It's it's amazing. Like and just the 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 scale of this movie and how it feels like it, it takes this really realistic approach to this whole universe and to the thing. And at the same time, it's a bit ridiculous at times. But, you know, you have, like, the fact that he's a clown and that he's wearing face paint, that's a ridiculous, like, concept. That this guy is crazy, he's out of his mind seemingly, but also seems very, like... He's having a normal conversation with Bat. Like, anytime he's on on, on the screen, like, he's just saying these random things that almost make more sense than what people are trying to say to him, which is weird. And then, you know, going right? back to cinematography with, like, the crowd scenes. And, like, you know, there's yes. that one scene where he's he's in the crowd with the gun and they're doing yes. the thing. And then there's that wide shot when the, 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 the shot rings out and everyone just scatters. Amazing. One of my favorite shots in the entire movie. And then, you know, just the whole look and feel of it and they I think they did a lot of this in Chicago I think and I'm I'm going to be in Chicago I'm going to try to look up some of these places um in a few weeks but um like it just it they make Gotham feel so real and so down to earth it's not like this scummy like gothic like you see with like Tim Burton it feels like a real city but it's also it really does. scary it does you know that that's that, that's a really good point is the 1989 film it feels almost like you're in a comic book, this is the scale that you would expect a city from a comic book to to be like. Mm-hmm. And in, in that regard, it it is probably one of my favorite comic book movies because it actually feels like they brought a comic book to life. But what they did with this movie was they blended comics with reality in a way that, in my opinion, nobody else has been able to replicate since. No, it's. It just it goes the extra mile of creating this really, really realistic, you know, version of Batman, you know, and he's not, you know, it's, he's it's, an approachable person, you know, he's not this distant playboy millionaire. He puts on that face, but you know that his affections for Rachel like determine everything that he does. Right. All the decisions that he makes, all of the defenses that he makes for Gotham, he's doing it to try and defend Rachel, not to defend the city. Right. And and also and also he he makes the right calls in like he's also like really he's invested in the city too and like doing the right thing and not like undermining the, the police or whatever and undermining the system and you know, he kind of throughout this movie he's kind of struggling with the whole idea of like being a vigilante, but also supporting the right way to do things and like the legal way, and understanding that Batman maybe isn't the right 
like way to go when it comes to like ultimately defeating and he sees Harvey Dent as someone who can truly kind of bring order to things and so much so that he he kind of sacrifices Rachel in the end to save Harvey and then that all went south but uh <laughs> you know it, it it's all it's it's a character study at the same time of Batman and the role of Batman no, and, it is. and what he should be doing and you know and ultimately comes out you know you know you have the great line which we <laughs> we found this out um <laughs> before the show started we looked back you found the show notes for the last yep. episode uh-huh. the quote of the night for the last episode was of course Harvey Dent's great line if you either die a hero you live long enough to see yourself become the villain yep i didn't even realize we actually picked it tonight to do it again <laughs> We did. And so, and then you looked up the show notes like, oh crap, we better f- pick a new one because we don't want to, you know, even though it was 160 something episodes ago, um, we want to change it up a little bit. But that right there is like, it's so prophetic because Harvey Dent is the hero, becomes the villain ultimately. And Batman is the hero, but is ultimately shown to be the villain. He's ultimately framed, yeah, he's ultimately framed as the villain in order to preserve Harvey's heroic legacy. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's all because Batman felt like Harvey needed to be the face of hope that Gotham needed. He's, he's supposed to be the one that, that stands up for what's right. I think at one point they called him the White Knight, which is... An interesting twist because the movie's titled The Dark Knight. You know, yep. you, you've 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 got this Dark Knight that's out there protecting Gotham, but eventually, he's not going to be the face that that you want. You don't always want to have to depend on Batman. And you're right, going about it through legal methods is the best way. It's the way that it should be done. And what what he does is he only takes his vigilantism as far as he needs to in order for the police to do their job. So he uses those marked bills in order to help the police track the, the mob's money movement. He only goes to Hong Kong in order to bring Lao back to the States so that he can be interrogated. He doesn't take him out. He doesn't kidnap him for kidnapping's sake. He brings him back so that the justice system can get him to talk and take care of the bigger picture. Right. So that's the other thing is they've found this cooperation between legal and illegal and makes you question where that line really is. Because you look at just the other side of that line and the Joker's sitting there laughing at you. You know, there, right. there's this line where not not necessarily like a, a spoken line, but like a like a metaphorical line in the sand, if you will, where, you know, the, the Joker is living outside of the law and is bringing an end to uh, to to crime in, in a sense and just instigating chaos, which is different. He, he's using crime to almost end crime in a way. Right. Because by taking out Batman and by taking half of the mob's money and just burning it, now Batman's vigilante justice is eliminated and 
the mob takes a huge hit that will take them a really, really long time to recover from. So he's getting rid of like both elements to a certain degree, but he's doing it in just these really horrible, sadistic methods that are morally wrong, and it's a line that Batman has yet to cross, but keeps approaching because of the way the Joker approaches things. Right, and like the Joker... He kills more like criminals in this movie than the police, and, and you know Batman doesn't kill anybody. So, right. like the Joker, in his own twisted way, is kind of cleaning up the streets. But at the same time, he is creating a lot of of mayhem, and that's that's his whole thing. And I love to see right. he's, he's just. He he doesn't care about the money. Like the, the other guys think he's nuts. Like he starts piling up th- this how many probably millions of dollars in bills that are top piled up there. He just he just throws <laughs> throws it on throws fire and on it and gasoline. And, yeah, and just it watches it burn and you know kind of bringing kind of all sort full circle to you know Alfred's line about some yep. men just wanted to watch the world burn. Yep, yep, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. That metaphor that Alfred uses for finding the the jewel thief that that steals just for the sake of stealing. It's almost like he he knows the Joker well enough to 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 use that type of metaphor about Burma. And he said, you know, he was he was hiding out in the forest, and the only way we could get him out was to burn the forest down. <laughs> Yeah. And if you and if you put like that metaphor into the context of Gotham, the city essentially has to be either physically or morally decimated before you can hit the reset button. That's exactly what Ra's al Ghul wanted in the first place. He wanted to level the field and bring Gotham to a grinding halt so that it could go through a reality check and come out brighter and better than it was before. And it's like the Joker's methods are more effective than what Ra's al Ghul was doing. Yeah. And 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 I know that a lot of people like to think of The Dark Knight as like a standalone movie because you've got Ra's al Ghul with uh with the uh Scarecrow in the first movie. Scarecrow only shows up for a few minutes at the beginning of this movie. And then Bane comes in in The Dark Knight Rises and wants to fulfill Ra's al Ghul's destiny. So it's like you're circling back to the first movie. But I really believe that uh, The Dark Knight is just the Empire Strikes Back of this trilogy, if you yeah. will. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't like doesn't completely work like because doesn't I, I? It's been a while since I've seen Batman Begins. Doesn't Rachel know about Bruce Wayne? She does. Yeah, so she know she found out in the first she, one. She she knows his secret. Yes. So that's a bit confusing if if you weren't aware. Um, and you know there there's a lot of things. I think I think this is a good trilogy. Let's not you know throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know this is a good trilogy of its own. I think the Dark Knight is head head and above the rest of the films and is one oh, of the best easily. films of its era. Um, but you know, don't discount. I think Batman Begins is, is is pretty darn good, and it sets up a lot for this character. Um, I think you get, and still, I will come back to this. And you know, I could be wrong about the the screen time, but I think you're getting 
Batman's story and his kind of ultimate goal is is almost sidelined at points. It feels like it's not the you know front and center because you're dealing with the Joker and the, just this thing. And, and and Bat and Bruce Wayne goes through a lot of stuff in this movie. He loses the woman he loves. He you know he's kind of struggling with you know almost regretting becoming Batman in a way because I, I don't know if that may be a bit harsh, but I think. He understands ultimately. He sees Harvey Dent as this, as you said, white knight. This someone who could do what he's doing, but better and in the light of day. And so he's like, okay, well, you know. I, and he even at some point resigns himself to to be, you know, to give himself up as Batman to stop whatever's going on. Um, so he's willing at that point to give it up and and stuff. So, but and the Joker just takes over. And just steals the show from the moment he walks on screen, dude. He he steals the show in the first few minutes. Honestly, that bank heist was one of the coolest opening sequences I've ever seen in a movie. It set the tone. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh the the whole concept of ziplining across a couple of skyscrapers and taking out the people once they've completed their part of the mission, so that nobody is left and then you realize that the joker had been part of the heist all along and they've been like bad mouthing him because they thought he wasn't there and then yeah. at the very very end the 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 bank president is like what do you believe in i believe that whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger i love it Oh, it gives me chills, Every dude. line he says. Every, every line. Every time. Every time the man talks, I listen. He just commands attention. And that's just a testament to Heath Ledger's performance. You know, he embraced this role far and away beyond the the way anybody would be expected to or the way anybody has embraced the role of the Joker. Not to discredit Jack Nicholson or even Mark Hamill, but the way that he physically, emotionally, and just characteristically embodied this clown prince of crime. It was just a sight to behold. I, I don't even know if I have the proper words for it because... It's just one of those performances that you only get once in a lifetime. Yep. You know? You're never going to see anybody replicate the Joker in this generation the way Heath Ledger did. And you're you're never going to get somebody with a voice as iconic as Morgan Freeman's or James Earl Jones's, you know? Mm-hmm. You're you're never going to get somebody with that kind of godlike voice again in this type of in, in in this generation. And so there's there's just some of those once in a lifetime opportunities and we just have the pleasure of existing in the same time and space that Heath Ledger did when he put forth this movie cuz in my opinion I'm going to be showing this to my kids one day. Oh, you know? Yeah. I I'm going to be showing this to uh to, to relatives and and younger cousins and whatnot that that maybe haven't seen it yet, you know. There's so many 
opportunities out there, nieces, nephews, grandkids, whatever. It's going to become a generational thing. I'm predicting it now. You know, I, I don't feel like in 20 years, the Dark Knight is going to feel that far removed from anything that we've got right now. Yeah. I don't think, I, I, I honestly, here's here's the deal. If 10 years have, have been removed and this movie still feels relatable, I feel like we're going to be able to stretch it into another 10 years. And then potentially another 10 years after that. I I am of the opinion, this is just me, but if I'm still alive in 2058, I'm going to enjoy that movie 50 years later than I did the first time I saw it. Yeah, I totally... It, it's, it's timeless. It really is timeless because of everything that they're able to do with it. And, you know, a, a part of it has to do with the cast. We've mentioned Heath Ledger. We've, we've made reference to Christian Bale. Maybe not some people's favorite iteration of Batman. I think a lot of people really, really liked, um, who was it, Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton I think seems a lot. to be the favorite, I think. And Kevin Conroy. Uh, yeah, Conroy. That's, that's true. Um, but Christian Bale... He he did something else as well. He made Bruce Wayne his own. He didn't try to replicate Keaton's performance. He and, and just like Ledger didn't try and, and replicate Nicholson's performance. He embraced the concept of Batman and who he was and turned him into someone that he was able to present even if it was with a raspy voice. You know, how it should have ended still makes fun of Batman's voice from this trilogy. And I don't really care because it has made the movie kind of become a part of pop culture, if you will. You know, now that that he has solidified himself with that voice, it's also become one of those things where you just make make a reference and you're like, I did something because I'm Batman. Yeah, that's the thing with, like, yeah, I I get it. I totally get it with Christian Bale. I think he's a great Batman. Yes, the voice, the voice, even in this movie, it's a a bit, it's a bit out there. It's a bit ridiculous. (laughs) But I'm willing to, I'm willing to give him a pass on it. Just the fact that this movie is so great, and this trilogy is so great, and the fact that Christian Bale is just... Being Bruce Wayne and doing everything as Batman, he's he's genuinely great. And I think you have to give him a pass. I think they're trying to give a the most realistic. That's what Christopher Nolan was trying to do with this: is give us the most, give Batman in the purest form, how he would exist in the real world, and like he's not going to have this naturally deep voice or whatever. I guess you could have done it with like electronic like voice differences or whatever but like like yeah. a modulator or something maybe yeah like something like they do on arrow like oliver queen like does with like this thing he turns on that can like change his voice that might have worked better but i think ultimately it was like bare bones you know not super high tech just this guy who is out there being bruce wayne this really famous rich guy and also on the side being batman and trying to lead this double life and keep it down low and it 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 makes sense. I'm not saying like I'm Batman. It's been parodied so many times, <laughs> rightfully so. 
but at the same time, he he brought on a banger of and a performance as Batman. You can't you can't knock him for it. No, you you really can't. But in in my opinion, it's not his role. His performance wasn't even a top five of the best acted roles in this movie. I I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah, I I feel like Ledger obviously is number one. I feel like number two would belong to Aaron Eckhart as yes, Harvey Dent. Yes, absolutely. I feel like number three would belong to Gary Oldman as Gordon. Yeah. Number four would go to Michael Caine as Alfred. Mm-hmm. And then this one is probably going to um, ruffle some feathers. <laughs> but I think Chin Han as Lao was more convincing in his role than Christian Bale was as Bruce Wayne. That's a that's a spicy take there. It's a it's a bit of a hot take, yeah. But I enjoyed the role that Lau played and he played it well. He's a great he, actor. That guy I don't know the guy's name, but like he's been in everything from Chin Han. Chin Han. There you go. Chin Han is his name. And you're right, he's been in other stuff as well. He's He's got some. He's got some work on. He was in. He was in skyscraper with the Rock not of too long ago. Of course he was. The first thing I ever think I ever saw him in was uh, Arrow, which I just mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, Captain America: Winter Soldier. Yep. Um, as Councilman Yen. So many great. Like I love actors like that. You don't necessarily know their names, but like I know his face because I've seen him in every mm-hmm. movie imaginable. He was he was in uh, Independence Day Resurgence back in 2016. Wow, that's he great. had a pretty big role in the Netflix TV series Marco Polo. And uh, yeah, like I said, he was in uh, Skyscraper, and he's about to be in a movie called A Sweet Life. I don't know what that is, but yeah, he's he's got a lot of acting to his name, and every role that he plays, he plays it really well. And I feel like he did the same thing with uh with this movie as well he mm-hmm. like mr lau knew the cards that he was dealt and he made ballsy decisions like taking all the money out of the mobsters banks without their permission and then when he got caught he knew exactly how he was going to get out of it and was able to frame the mobsters while keeping their money yeah yeah like that that was just the the way that he played everybody, he plays the system about as well as anybody in the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I love the whole, you know, thing with him, you know, escaping, <clears throat> and then the whole thing like Batman basically going, "I'm gonna come get you, fool!" <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, he goes all the way there and does this badass thing with with the, with the plane. And literally picks him off a skyscraper like it's great. That's the other thing is the scale that they use in this movie is rather impressive. Yeah. You, you've you got a very large scale that you're dealing with. You mentioned one of those scales with the funeral sequence in downtown Gotham. You've mm-hmm. got these huge skyscrapers and these huge crowds that are in attendance. Basically, the entire police force is walking down the main corridor for this in their dress uniforms. Like, you could place a bomb in the sewers and get rid of the Gotham police force like that. Yeah. And it, it's just, 
it's it's mind-boggling to see. And then, of course, I think we've got to give some mention to the chase sequence that ends up in the capture of the Joker. Yes, that's massive. And Holy like in all smokes. the, and if you delve into the behind-the-scenes material, like you'll you'll see that like ninety percent of it is like completely real. There's no. Like I'm gonna say, there's no CGI, but there's there's not a lot of CGI. Like the the you see the point when, you know, they f- literally flip an 18 wheeler. Like they did that. They did that they downtown actually, Chicago. They like, actually flipped an 18 wheeler. Yeah, like there's no tricks there. They just did it. Like in the movie, like it's it's insane the amount of work they went through with this. Well, and then you've got that one sequence where they're in the underpass. They're like in a tunnel, and. And and he he whips out like this big ass gun, and somebody looks up from one of the police cars and goes, "Is that a bazooka?" <laughs> they, can't, they can't believe it. The people in the movie can't believe. Like, wait a minute, is he actually going to do that? And then you don't see a bazooka used in the comics in that context again until season one of Luke Cage. Wow. Like, I, I, unless I'm mistaking myself, unless I am missing something, if, if I'm wrong, then go ahead and correct me on social media at IPC Podcast. But I believe that it took about nine to ten years before somebody had the guts to put a bazooka into the context of comic book storytelling. It, it just was something entirely unique to what the Joker did. And it made for some fantastic action sequences. When he plays chicken with Batman at the very end there, he's like, come on, come on, I want you to hit me. I want you to hit me. Like, your eyes are glued to the screen, man. You can't look away. You want to see if he's going to get hit. Are we going to get, you know, multicolored clown bits spewed everywhere? What is going to happen? And just thinking about it is giving me goosebumps because it's such an intense sequence. Yeah, it's it's so great, and it's so, you know, you're, it's funny how you're kind of rooting for the Joker a bit. <laughs> it's weird to say that, but, like, you're so, like, that. that's why I, I he's the most interesting character in the entire movie, and you're just like, what is he going to do? Like, it, it keeps unraveling, and the more they try to stop him, the more he does. Like, right. it's insane, and even when they capture him, he's like, Oh, whatever you know, you know, I'm still doing stuff. Like he he anticipates everything. So, little little bit of a story here, not to get too sidetracked, no but the first time that I watched this movie, I actually thought it was nearing the end when they captured him. Oh, because we had gotten a lot of storytelling done already. We were well over an hour into it, and I thought. How can they possibly come up with a fight sequence bigger than this? This has to be the climax. And and especially when Gordon pulls his helmet off and it's like a surprise and it's like, we gotcha, you son of a bitch. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like, I started freaking out. I started geeking out because I was like, oh, wow, they just went there. They just did that. They've got him in a holding cell. It's over. No. Yeah, it's funny Not how even. it's funny how you get to the point when they take him back to the jail and he's in the cell and Commissioner Gordon becomes Commissioner Gordon and everybody finds mm-hmm. out no he wasn't he wasn't dead. Like 
you could almost end the movie right there. You could. Like, everything's pretty much wrapped up. They've got the Joker, whatever. But, like, it's just getting started. Like Exactly. And then Harvey Dent just nonchalantly, like, yeah, I'm going to go home or whatever. And then they come back five minutes later. He never made it home. What did you do? Uh-huh. And, of course, Joker's like, I didn't do anything. I've been here. Uh-huh. I mean, he wanted to get caught. He wanted to have an alibi. He wanted to instill fear in Gotham's finest. He planted that bomb in that dude, knowing that he was going to get arrested and end up in that same jail cell. He knew that Gordon was going to want to keep him in local lockup instead of sending him to county. Like, he knew, he instinctively knew the psychological pathways and functions of Gotham's elite and played it to his advantage. Like, the the applause when when Gordon is named commissioner. That's just a spooky moment because it's like he's playing along. It's like, yeah, big deal, you're commissioner. And I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, Heath Ledger improvised that. That wasn't. He did. That was not something that was planned. He just did. He it. did. He did. He improvised that scene, and he improvised the destruction of the hospital because they only had enough explosives for one time. They didn't have enough money in the budget. They didn't have enough time in the schedule. They didn't have enough time to like create a new set. They could only blow up the hospital one time. Well, they. I mean. Understandably, because they blow it up. It completely collapses. They have an entire building there, and you can tell there's no CGI. It's real. And then they destroy it, and it collapses, and the camera pulls out, and the Joker walks away. And I love that scene where he's, like, messing with the controls, and then he hits it again, and then it blows up again. He's like, what? He's jarred, and he jumps in the school bus. It's like, oh, this is so great. That's the part that was improvised because it was supposed to just continue exploding kind of like Iron Man where there's just explosion after explosion dramatically walking away kind of thing. He was supposed to just be casually walking away from it and the explosions stop. But rather than calling cut, uh, according to, to what I read, Nolan just told them to keep filming. He just said, keep rolling, keep it going. And they just kept the camera on Ledger and he just turned around and looked at it and flapped his arms like, what's going on? And then he like messed with the button and the controls and was like screwing with it and all that. And then like the explosions picked back up again and kept going and he's like, okay, yaha, and just kept walking away. That whole sequence where he turns around and tries to look at what's going on and flaps his hands, totally improvised. Love it. Love it. Oh, man. And and that's just another testament to the scale, like I was talking about. They put it on a very grand scale and make it very dangerous to the viewer. Because, let's be honest, we've either been in a hospital or have had relatives in the hospital before. And to have that hospital threatened, unless you kill somebody else, you're faced with this moral dilemma, like, like, like uh, Officer Reese was. You know, he's got to decide... Do I kill this guy? No, Reese is Reese is the Reese is the is the talker. I'm sorry. Reese is the guy who who's going to talk and then the Reese Reese is the guy who knew uh Batman's identity, the one who tried to blackmail him and then yeah, 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 yeah. Lucius was like 
So your idea is to blackmail this guy? Good luck. <laughs> I burst out laughing at that scene. So funny. And Morgan Freeman's just deadpan like, uh, so you're going to blackmail this man? <laughs> that That's your plan. That that's your, your your plan is to blackmail this person. Hmm. Good luck. Yeah. No. Um. I can't remember what his what his name was. Uh. Off the top of my head, but it was one of the officers, and he uh he had this opportunity. Do I do I kill the talker or do I let my wife potentially die in the hospital? And then you you pick it up. Uh, another notch when you've got the two ferry rides and you're out in the open water and you each have a detonator and you get to decide, okay, who dies? The people who are the common folk or the guys who are serving prison sentences? That, you know, that whole scene that, is, is just astounding. It's amazing because you're, you're, you're dealing with, and it's funny how the Joker frames it as a social experiment, like like he's on YouTube or something. <laughs> like I'm gonna see what you people do when you're given the option to kill each other, and mm-hmm. like it's an impossible choice. And you and you wonder when you're in those people's shoes, like what would you do? Because you're 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 on a boat, and there's another boat with prisoners, and you're told, well. If you don't blow them up first, they're going to blow you up. And if you don't, if one of you doesn't pull the trigger, you're both going to die. Like, that is a ridiculous notion. And I love the fact that, you know, like, the Joker is, is, is banking on, like, these people being as psychotic as he is, or, like, just as emotionless, or, or as just without, you know, with, without, you know, mercy. And, it turns out that both people, the prisoners, are the first ones to throw, literally throw away the trigger, not pull the trigger. And the one guy on the boat, <laughs> on the other boat, that is like all like, well, nobody else is going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he gets up there and he won't pull the trigger. And it's like, yeah, of course you wouldn't. Like, of course, that is a just a terrifying option. Anybody would talk big about doing something like that, but no one could actually go through with it. Right, and and that's what I mean by this movie being a psychological thriller. It messes with your mind in more ways than one. Because you then end up putting yourself in that ferry boat with the other innocent people. Thinking, mm-hmm. what would I have done in that situation? You then put yourself in that Gotham police officer's shoes, thinking, what would you do to save the ones you love? You're putting yourself in the hands of... of you know, a complete stranger, somebody who's a convicted felon and trying to decide if you're going to pull the trigger on him before he pulls it on you. Are we really going to resort to, to anarchy and the ways of what is essentially the old West, if you will, or do we prove that we are above that Mm -hmm. and that we're more civilized than that? Do we rise above the hate and the fear that is trying to be instilled in our community? I just, I love that narrative and the way that it is just so softly interwoven into everything. There's not very much you can say about this story that is soft. It's all pretty badass. It's pretty hardcore. But the way that they very softly and subtly throw in Gotham bringing out the best in each other rather than the worst 
is what makes the city the hero in a certain regard. Right. You know, it, it's not necessarily Batman that saves the city. It's not even Harvey Dent that saves the city. The city saves itself. Yeah. At least in at least in that sequence. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like when faced with the options, the people of Gotham are are what's best. Like will do what's best. And that's that's the great thing about it. And, the, and the, ultimately they defeat the Joker. They're the first ones to defeat to defeat the Joker because they don't fall for a scheme. Right. And it, the bomb doesn't even go off, I don't think. No, it doesn't. I think I don't I think Ultimately, I think the Joker intended it for it to go off, but it didn't go off. And he's like, oh, you, you got to do everything yourself." <laughs> gets right, the and end. then and then he gets and then he gets sidetracked because oh, the the Dark Knight shows up. Right. Another really cool sequence because you're you, you're you're continuing the storyline that you used previously with the with the radar that goes up through Lau's building, and you're basically using it for every cell phone in the city. So now you're getting into privacy issues and wiretapping and that sort of thing. Right. And uh, at one point, Lucius says, I'll do this, but it's the last thing I'm going to do for Wayne Enterprises. Like, he draws the line in the sand, recognizing if we use unscrupulous methods to stop crime for happening, we're no better than the Joker is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I love the the moral compasses that Bruce Wayne has because people like Lucius and people like Alfred and even people like Rachel before she dies, they are there to make sure that he does what needs to be done without losing his humanity, without losing who he is. And I don't feel like he crosses that line in this movie. He comes dangerously close uh, especially during one particular sequence when they feel like they've got the Joker and they've got him in custody. He puts the chair up against the door and starts, like, you know, beating the crap out of him. But other than that, I, I was actually pretty impressed by the way that he kept his composure in this movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, and it really, it's it's a it's a very emotional story. It's a very, you know, it's about you know, kind of the ultimate heroes versus villains thing, but ultimately, like, the Joker kind of putting a test for, not just for Batman and for the police, but for Gotham themselves. Mm-hmm. And kind of going this just insane route of, like, trying to prove a point. And and there's a, there's a moment, you know, you kind of get to the end, and, you know, Harvey Dent has done what he's done, and I think he's dead at that point, and, and you know... Gordon says, well, you know, the Joker's won, and Batman's like, no, he hasn't. Like, we can't let him win, and that's kind of the only choice. Really quick, Harvey Dent. Before we end tonight, we got to talk a little bit about Harvey Dent. Oh, yeah. And I know we've mentioned him a bit, but, like, that performance is incredible. And taking, again, a ridiculous character, a character that has been portrayed as ridiculous in a number of films. Um, oh, what was it, Batman don't, and Robin? Don't, don't even get me started on Tommy Lee Jones. Just don't. He doesn't need to be remembered for his performances in DC films. I don't he think needs to be he remembered wants for... to be. I don't think he wants to no. be. No. 
No, he he's much better remembered as the general from Captain America, the first Avenger. But don't talk about Tommy Lee Jones in Batman and Robin, please. But, but think about it a little. Like, you're talking about Batman, who has one of the most infamous and one of the most ridiculous rogues gallery of all time for, for a hero to have. You know, the villains that Batman has at his disposal that, that he's known for. And, like, not having just, like, everyone knows... Two-Face, the Penguin, the Joker, everything. Like, there's so many great villains. You know, it's so weird because I watched the Batman animated series not too long ago. It was on Amazon Prime. Some of the characters that Batman has to fend off against in Gotham is just flat-out ridiculous. There's one dude who is, like, obsessed with bats and ends up blending his genetic makeup with that of a bat. And instead of Batman, he becomes Man Bat. Man Bat. I've heard of Man Bat. <laughs> it's just so weird. It's like and I'm a... so glad that nobody has used him in any of their movies yet because it's just shudderworthy. Reminds me of uh of 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 Spider 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 Pig. Spider Ham. Why am I thinking thanks? Spider Ham who was bitten who was a spider bitten by a radioactive pig. <laughs> That's yeah. his origin story. I love when they go to those alternate universes. It just it just gets weirder and weirder. And thankfully, we have Spider Verse. And and bringing it back to Dark Knight, my point to my point about Two Face, a guy that has like a line down his face, and he's one thing on one side and one thing on the other side, and and that he he flips heads, you live; tails, you die. That is so just cliche and almost dumb but in this movie it's presented and it's just this real and it and they slowly turn it into this really tragic thing but it starts out with just you know Harvey Dan who is this really righteous guy who's trying to do the right thing and seems like this kind of the star of Gotham who is the new DA and he's getting a lot of good stuff done and he just has his coin he's like yeah you know heads tails whatever and ultimately it's a, it's a coin that is heads on both sides, and he's like, you know, make your own luck. I love that part. But getting down to what happens to him and the hospital scene and him just basically going insane is Aaron Eckhart was just nailed it. Such an incredible and so, speaking of CGI, the graphics work that they did on his face, making him look the oh, way they did. man. Horrifying and brilliant at the same time. Just, just knocked it out of the park. Oh man, it's one of those things where you're you 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 look at it because it's so definitively different from anything else that you've ever seen. Right. But at the same time, you kind of want to look away because it's so horrifying to look at, and it's it's yeah. just yeah, exactly. brilliant. But I, I I I will put one knock. There there are, there are two knocks that I would put on this movie, and the first one is. How the hell did Harvey Dent not recognize the Joker until his mask was taken off? Yeah. Like, the dude is full of war paint, and it's a man wearing a nurse's dress. And you don't lunge at him until after he pulls off the little paper face mask that he's wearing. Again, ridiculousness. What what the Joker is wearing in that scene, he got the wig and everything, is absurd. And it's, it in, is. Any, in any other movie, it would be laughable. But the fact that you have Heath Ledger putting on 
the best and sadly the last performance of his life, um, it just sells it. It sells it in this movie that takes itself so seriously, but also isn't afraid to embrace some of the more ridiculous elements of the comic books that it's based on and ultimately turn them into something that can be accepted by the audience. And this movie totally sells everything it's doing, regardless if it's really grounded and realistic or something that's bonkers and saying sometimes grounds it all in the reality of, you know, this movie's taking it seriously, so you're going to accept it. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's a big part of what makes this movie so, like, believable and and engaging. You know, we've used mm-hmm. a lot of similar phrases like that, but it's it's just one of those movies that it's very, very hard to find anything to really complain about it, and tons of things to find your favorites about. But we're going to get to that in just a second. We're going to discuss favorite character, favorite moment, and planet scores in just a second. But we're going to cut to a quick commercial break first. And we'll see you all on the flip side as we wrap up our discussion of The Dark Knight Revisited. is Sage from the Night Force Media Network, and I'm here to tell you about our new show, The Fandom Cantina, and why you need to tune into it. Also here to talk about it is, um, uh, oh yeah, right, it's Mondo. Wait, 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 so you should think I'm like, like an afterthought? Let no, me tell no, you but... something, okay? You act like I don't know anything about Star Wars I, I and never The said Force that. Or, uh, or other movies. I'll have you know, I was a Movie Pass subscriber, okay? And I subscribed wait, to but... A-List, and you act like I don't know anything about television. You no. know, like all those fancy shows and video games. Let me I, tell you something, I man. Say... I have beaten 50 video games this year alone, and 50? you don't think that I like making odd-numbered list countdown lists up? Oh, you are you are sadly mistaken, sir. So yeah, that's what our show's about. You can catch us 10 p.m. Eastern Wednesday nights. Mixler's Night Force Media. See you then. up our thoughts on the dark knight obviously we could go on for a really 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 long time if we wanted to and maybe maybe what we could do one of these days the movie's two and a half hours long so we'd really have to dedicate like a big block of time to that but i would love to do a commentary of this movie sometime absolutely absolutely i I would give any excuse just to watch the movie again anyway so exactly maybe maybe we'll do that as like a patron special or something and and the people that are subscribed to us on uh, on podbean will get a chance to 
hear us give our thoughts on that or something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, if that is something that you're interested in hearing our full thoughts for two and a half hours talking about this movie, let us know. And uh, maybe we can make that happen. But let's get to favorites real quick, Ben. We've mentioned the all-star studded cast that this movie has. And it's just really, really hard to pick uh, a second favorite. Because I really believe it's it's pretty obvious that the Joker is our favorite character, isn't it? Mm, Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's kind of a given. So... Usually when we're discussing favorites, characters, and things like that, you know, we maybe have a different opinion, but I I think it's pretty similar in this case. So let's talk about second favorite and why then. Who takes the silver medal in The Dark Knight behind Heath Ledger's performance? Uh, I'm going to agree with you. I think you said earlier, Aaron Eckhart as as Harvey Dent slash Two-Face. It's so... so it's compelling, and you can you can tell that he's doing things because he's been wronged. Everything's gone right for this guy for so long that I don't think he knows what to do when things go wrong. Um, and, and when he loses a, a person that he loves, then he, uh, he, he just kind of snaps. He just kind of loses it. And you're right. Eckhart's portrayal is just phenomenal. I do want to give some credit where credit is due, though, because I am a pretty big fan of uh, Gary Oldman as Detective slash Commissioner Gordon. Mm -hmm. I have not seen him in the Churchill movie yet, though, so I don't know. I don't know if I can have like a full opinion on his performances yet because the top two movies that I've seen him in are this and uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yep. And so... Something like there's something else. (laughs) Those are the two that come to mind first, but I really want to see more Gary Oldman movies. I really do. Uh, I want to see Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I want to see Darkest Hour. Um, I want to see what was the other one that he was in. Oh gosh. I didn't know he was in RoboCop. Good grief. Um, <laughs> I, I want to see him. Oh wow. He was in a 2009's, uh, Christmas Carol. That's the one with Jim Carrey, the animated one with Jim Carrey, isn't it? I've seen that um, movie and I don't remember him in it. <laughs> oh crap. You know what? He was also Sirius Black in the Harry Potter franchise. I knew there was another one I was missing. Thank you. Uh, he was okay. also yeah. he was also the villain in Air Force One. Aha! See, I need to see Air Force One as well. I've yep. got it in my collection, and uh, I've actually got a bit of a problem because I've been finding movies in the 374 Walmart shelf, and uh, they're like pretty good movies. And now I'm starting to run out of space on my movie shelf. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, you know, you know what I just found uh, the other day. I found a Blu-ray digitally remastered Schindler's List for $10. Wow. That's a find. Mm-mm. I, I struck gold that time. But, uh, yeah, I, I need more Gary Oldman in my life, and I and I need uh, I need more space for my movie collection. <laughs> so I think the number two would, would probably, for me, be a tie between Eckhart and, and Oldman. They both did a really, really good job with what they were given in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. But, but now, 
Now we uh, we come to another really tough question. A favorite moment? Can can I can I say from the time the window smashes out at the beginning of the movie until he rides his motorcycle off into the sunset? Like, can I just call that a two and a half hour moment? I mean, I think the definition of moment is uh, relative. And it is 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 it it could be interpreted different ways. And, you know, it could a moment could be two and a half hours. Um, So I say yes. If I if I had to pick one, if somebody was like twisting my arm or pointing a gun to my head saying you have to choose one. I think I'd probably pick the the fairy scene. Because that's I'm, I'm going to I'm going to 100 percent agree with you. Yes, because here's the deal. I watched Spider-Man Homecoming in in the theaters and I saw it in the trailer that there was going to be a fairy sequence. And I knew I knew that I knew that I knew it was a bold move to try and do anything comics related on a ferry ever again. And Homecoming's sequence on the ferry did not even come close to touching the intensity of that sequence. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. I liked Homecoming. It was a good movie. It had good moments. That was not one of them. Because I, I don't see any other sequence on a ferry being as intense as that ferry ride sequence in the dark night. There's just no way to replicate that. Oh yeah. It's great. Oh, okay. (laughs) (sighs) I, I do, I do feel like it's worth mentioning that Heath Ledger's performance did not go unnoticed. Oh no. Um, you know, we, we were talking about how much of an influence he had on this movie and he had on DC comics the fact that they didn't even touch on his storyline out of respect for him in The Dark Knight Rises. You know, he he carried a lot of influence, and it took a long time before anybody was willing to try and do something with the Joker's character again. And even then, in Suicide Squad, I would say most people didn't care for it. So, like, he, he has solidified that role. And even though he passed away, he still won both an Academy Award and a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor in 2009. It was it was a posthumous award, and they paid their respects to him at those award ceremonies. But he did get an Oscar for that performance. Yeah. And honestly, I, I, I think about other movies that came out in 2008, and I... I honestly cannot think of anybody else that would have been more deserving. I don't even know who the best supporting actor nominees were, uh, but I don't think anybody could have touched Heath Ledger. No, he uh, absolutely deserved it. And, and you know, I'm sure, I mean, being – he tragically died. I mean, I think even before filming had completed for The Dark Knight um, – you know that obviously played a factor. That you know it was just such a a love letter to him. You know, and kind of a thank you to him. You know, in, in, you know in you know post mortem. Um, at the same time, living or you know living or not, he he absolutely deserved it. So here are the other nominees. Um, <laughs> these are some familiar names, actually. Uh, Michael Shannon for his role in Revolutionary Road. 
Philip Seymour Hoffman for his role in Doubt. And uh, a one Robert Downey Jr. for his role in Tropic Thunder. Wow. And Josh Brolin for his role in the movie Milk. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Those were the other nominees for the 2009 Academy Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight should have won, but it's just interesting to see these other names like Philip Seymour Hoffman, Robert Downey Jr., and Josh Brolin. Uh, They've definitely made names for themselves after 2009, and uh, who knows? Maybe one of them will... Well, I guess Hoffman can't anymore, but Jr. or uh, Brolin, they may end up taking home a prize at some point. Uh, in the not too distant future, yeah, and you know, there there's so many there's so many actors, so many films. That was, I believe, was that not the only Oscars that The Dark Knight won? Uh, no, actually, uh-huh. um, there was there was one other win that it received that I was able to do in my quick five minute Google search. <laughs> uh, it also it also won the uh, Academy Award for Best Sound Editing. Okay, I mean, I I suppose it deserved that, but I think, I'm think, I think it's fair to say that it deserved, you know, a few or all of the Oscars that year. Oh man, I jeez, what was the 2009 uh, Oscar for Best Picture? I don't even that know. Would be very interesting. Slumdog Millionaire. Okay, okay, I'll I'll give them that, I suppose. I mean, it won eight awards that night, including Best Picture and Best Director. Wow. So, yeah, it's hard. To, it's kind of hard to argue that. I mean, here's the thing. Comics have always had a rough go of it in the among their peers when it comes to Hollywood movies and production. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel like um, Black Panther got the nods that it did more out of respect for what it did rather than how good those things were. The costume design was excellent. Don't get me wrong, but it got a nomination for best picture, didn't it? Yes. Yes. In In my, in, in my humble opinion, and this is not a knock on, on black Panther. And this is not something that I'm trying to make sound racist or misogynist. In my opinion, I feel like Infinity War was the better movie. I agree. I agree there. But, you know, with – I think some of the people that – and, like, that's totally fair. And I think some people kind of attack Black Panther like, oh, it doesn't deserve it. Like, it, there's more at play there with the fact that, you know, it's – it's th- that film was just more culturally significant. And I think it, there was just such a push behind it to get right. those. Um, and it won three, I think? Which I think that's right. Which is huge, massive. I mean, considering The Dark Knight won two Oscars, and that was it. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't agree that it's one of the best, if not the best, comic book superhero films of all time. And it only won two I Oscars. Mean... It didn't win one Best Picture. Like, And no, no offense to Slumdog Millionaire, but like, you know... There's so many people and so many movies that have never won an Oscar. Um, Harrison Ford never won an Oscar. 
like you know it's it's crazy to think about you know all the things um but you, you know you know that he's going to get a lifetime achievement award though he have to have to plus yeah i don't know give him a freaking oscar <laughs> right but but uh you know yeah i mean comic book films have never really and you know I, I get it. You know, you have the popular films, and then you have kind of the what we call Oscar bait. You know that that get a lot of love from the Oscars, and I get it. You know, it's just the way that it works. And and sometimes I think people get frustrated. And I, I have in the past when you feel like, oh, they're not getting a fair shake. Then they're not really even considering these comic book movies in the end because they're they're kind of biased against them. Um, maybe Black Panther will do something to change that. Hopefully, I don't know. I'm I'm glad that it got recognition. I think if you if you like this genre at all, you should at least be happy that Black Panther got there because that hasn't happened in the past. I just hope that they give more films in the future, you know, consideration, um, not just ones that are culturally significant, but ones that actually deserve it. Well, I think uh, The Shape of Water was a big one to kind of give you some push towards that, right? Because it was very different. Very, very different, very out there uh, as far as storytelling is concerned. It was very, very different. And I Mm -hmm. think it was that different that helped it to win. It made it stand out from everything. Yeah. And so I think the trick that comic book and and action movies are going to have is you've got to stand out from the movie industry itself in addition to standing out from your own genre. You've got to stand out from both superhero movies and movies in general in order to warrant that type of attention. Right. And Black Panther did that by being so uh, culturally different. And I think eventually we're going to reach a point where it's not just the paradigm shifts, but it's just because it's a darn good movie. We are not that far away from that, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. (sighs) <sighs> okay, well, I guess it's time for final thoughts and our planet scores for the evening. Ben, how would you close out a discussion on what is quite possibly one of the best movies we've ever reviewed? It's really hard because I feel like we could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about this movie. I know I certainly could. And, you know, the brilliance of it, the 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 look of it, the feel of it, the acting the special effects, you know, so many things they nailed in this movie. And, uh, you know, I never get tired of watching it, and I certainly never get tired of talking about it. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's certainly, you know, it, it, it's deserving of all the credit it's gotten so far. And, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to do that commentary, or maybe we'll do another revisited in the future. But it really is, like, hard to describe, like, how well this movie is done and how great it is and how enjoyable it is to watch. Um, I don't know if there's much I more I can say that, you know, I feel like I would be repeating myself, <laughs> keep going tonight, because um, I have hit a lot of the stuff that I really, really loved. The performances um, are astounding, outstanding. I, I loved the cinematography, but ultimately, it's hard to give a plan score, because I'm like, I feel like I'm cheating if I say anything other than 10 out of 10. I feel like there's no room for improvement for this movie, honestly. Dang. Dang, man. You're making me feel bad because I feel like I 
I went on more tangents tonight than you did. (laughs) (laughs) And you're giving it a higher score than I am. But not by much. Not not by much. Uh, Like I said, there there were only two knocks that I would put on it. Um, And they are very small knocks. Last night I learned that watching the movie from 11.30 until 2 a.m. is a very difficult thing to do. And there are some sequences where when you're just that tired, you end up kind of bobbing your head a little bit because it's so long. So the the length of the movie, even though it's so engaging, it's still a long movie. Right. And so that is one very, very tiny nick I would put on it. That's fair. That's and fair. the And the other tiny nick that I would put on it is that whole scene in the hospital room where Harvey Dent does not recognize the Joker until he takes his freaking mask off. That is like the one unforgivable sequence of this entire movie. The one thing that I look at and I'm like, how in the heck do you not notice that your nurse that is taking care of you has a very deep voice and has like this white war paint on underneath the paper mask that really isn't necessary because you're not contagious. (laughs) <laughs> like it was just, I, I'm just like really really but it's just very brief because you get right back into the movie after that so those are the two itty bitty teeny tiny itsy bitsy knocks that I would put on it and what's interesting is I I have talked about this movie on another podcast back when I was on the fandom fraternity with, uh, with our buddy Sage uh, I think it was last year or two years ago um, we did discuss this movie, and at the time, I only believed in uh, decimals that were like at half points or whatever. Oh boy! So it would be like eight, eight point five, nine, nine point five, ten, that kind of thing. And so when we reviewed The Dark Knight back then, I gave it a nine point five. And this, in my opinion, is a testament to the concept that people change. Because after going back through the movie again, and after talking about those two itty-bitty knocks, and the fact that I am actually changing my opinion on decimals, I do give this movie a 9.8 out of 10. Wow. Wow. Great. I love it. It is It is as near perfect as a movie can get. That's the best way I can sum it up. It is just a thrill ride emotionally and visually and character driven all these different elements weave together so incredibly well that it is as near perfect a movie as one could possibly get that is crazy good love it it is it is it is really crazy good and we want to hear your thoughts as well uh we're going to post a a promo image on our facebook page as well But if you're listening, then go ahead and reach out to us on social media and tell us your planet score of The Dark Knight. We didn't have planet scores the first time we discussed this movie, but we do now. What would you rate this movie out of 10? Go and reach out to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC Podcast. Or you can reach out to us personally if you want. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Zach, Z-A-C underscore DFW. Ben is on those same platforms as well at Ben Hart with no E. And that's another thing that's interesting, Ben. I went back and looked at our social media prompts from episode 64. 
Uh, back in the day, I think I was Zach underscore one one six. Oh, and you were Ben Heart Attack. <laughs> yes, I love it. So uh, things change, people change, their usernames change. Twitter <laughs> handles change occasionally. Oh man, it might have changed so many times, but I think I'm stuck with this one, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. So, I, th- I don't think I'm changing again. I I think I'm pretty set in my ways now. I'm turning into an old man. I'm very set in my ways. At some point, you just don't want anything to change. Just stay the same, please. Yes, exactly. But uh, some things don't ever change, including certain segments that we have in store for you tonight. None other than the quote of the night is what's up next. Uh, It's one of those sequences that's just a classic, but apparently we decided to skip over it the last time we discussed this movie. You know, you were talking about how we actually did the, uh, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I was like, yeah, that dinner sequence is pretty good. And I bet you we did something like the interrogation sequence or we did, uh, the fairy boat or something like that. I bet we did one of those scenes the last time. And then I pull up the show notes and lo and behold, we actually did that dinner sequence last time too. (laughs) We're just creatures of habit or something. I don't know. But uh, tonight we decided to go a more classic route and uh, and listen to something that is just completely iconic for this movie. It is going to be the uh, the interrogation scene because it's just so brilliant. But it's also kind of long. So I'm going to quit talking now and give it over to Gotham's Dark Knight against his super foe. It's tonight's Quote of the Night. Harvey Dent never made it home. Of course not. What have you done with him? Me? I was right here. Who did you leave him with? Hmm? Your people? Assuming, of course, that they are still your people and not Maroney's. Does it depress you, Commissioner? know just how alone you really are. Does it make you feel responsible for Harvey Dent's current predicament? Where is he? What's the time? What difference does that make? Well, depending on the time, he may be in one spot or several. If we're going to play games, Mm. I'm going to need a cup of coffee. Ah, the good cop, bad cop routine? Not exactly. Ah. Ah. Never start with the head. The victim gets all fuzzy. He can't feel the next... See? You wanted me. Here I am. I wanted to see what you'd do. And you didn't disappoint. You let five people die. Then, you let Dent take your place. Even to a guy like me, that's cold. Where's Dent? Those mob fools want you gone so they can get back to the way things were. But I know the truth. There's no going back. You've changed things. Forever. 
Then why do you want to kill me? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, no. No. No, you. You complete me. You're garbage. You kills for money. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now. But when they don't, they'll cast you out. Like a leper. You see, their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. We've dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these, uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. Where's Dent? You have all these rules, and you think they'll save you. He's in control. I have one rule. Oh, then that's the rule you'll have to break to know the truth. Which is? The only sensible way to live in this world is without rules. And tonight, you're gonna break your one rule. I'm considering it. No, there's only minutes left. You're gonna have to play my little game if you want to save one of them. Yeah. You know, for a while there, I thought you really were a dent. The way you threw yourself after her. <laughs> Look at you go! What does Harvey know about you and his little bunny? Where are they? Killing is making a choice. Where are they? Choose between one life or the other. Your friend, the district attorney. Or his blushing bride to be. You have nothing. Nothing to threaten me with. Nothing to do with all your strength. Don't worry. I'm going to tell you where they are. Both of them. And that's the point. You'll have to choose. He's at 250 52nd Street, and she's uh, on Avenue X. That's just a Man, what a crazy sequence, a crazy moment of events. It's just, oh my gosh. I, I don't even have the words. I'm a podcast host, and I don't have the words, damn it. Like, even it's, the music by Hans Zimmer is just crazy good. Like, you've got some really great emotion you got some great visuals you've got some really tense music happening in the background it just all comes together into one fantastic scene and it's a complete masterclass in acting like Heath Ledger steals the show but you can't you can't take anything away from Christian Bale who is keeping up like he is so great they're both so incredible and I love how he's just... Joker is not faced by it at all. He's literally being beaten half to death by Batman. And he's like, okay, you, like, you really shouldn't... He's like critiquing him. He's like, you you know you really shouldn't hit the victim in the head first. Like, it makes things, everything, all things fuzzy. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god. 
it's just a, a great collection of everything that makes this movie so great. Uh, I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Honestly, I really don't. It's just, it's so fantastic and it's so fun to watch. And if none of this has, has convinced you of anything yet, go back and watch this movie, people. Go back and watch this movie again. It definitely deserves your attention. Go back and rekindle that that relationship that you have with this beautiful movie. It's absolutely stellar. It's it's just yeah, it, it that that whole sequence is amazing. Uh speaking of rekindle, I do think it's time that we rekindle our relationship with a particular segment that we have that has stood the test of time. This is even a segment that we had 165 episodes ago, way, way back when we talked about this movie the first time. Unfortunately, we didn't put in the show notes what the topic was for that night, so we can't revisit it. <laughs> I was thinking it would be clever if we could, like, revisit the topic that we talked about so long ago and just revisit it because we revisited the movie. But no, we we couldn't do that. But we are going to discuss it nonetheless so, ladies and gentlemen, get out your hashtags. Put them in the chat if you're listening live on channel1138.com, but also put them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and anything else that might carry a hashtag, because it is time, one more time, for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. Barbecue. Barbecue! 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 All right, Ben, you had the idea for this segment and literally yeah. came up with it just a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> Because we're impromptu like that. We realized our original intent wasn't going to work, so we're going with, like, the audible, if you will. But uh, it, it, I'm, I'm really curious because I have an idea for what we're going to do with this, but I have no idea which direction you're going to take it. So this could be really fun. Okay, well, you know, we talked a lot about the Joker tonight. We've talked a lot about this incredible performance by Heath Ledger and the the... the 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 word that keeps coming up to when you're talking about the Joker is crazy, and I think it it's does it's a disservice to the Joker and the character, the brilliance of the character to just go, oh, he's just crazy, he's mad, but he is, he's mad, he's cuckoo, he's out of here, he's just mad, but that's why he's so great, he's because he's so unpredictable. So I'm thinking, what what how can we apply that to? BBQ watch and the first question that came to mind was what's your craziest barbecue idea what's the craziest thing you can think of related to barbecue and it can be an experience could be an idea a thought a recipe I don't know I don't even know if I have a really good answer to this I'm hoping you do but you know it's I don't know I think we can getting a little bit a little bit a little bit in the mindset of the Joker when we're, when we're talking about BBQ Watch may or may not be a good idea. I don't know if I can necessarily get into the Joker's mentality because I think that would take a couple of weeks of staying alone in a hotel room and uh, taking medicines and writing in a journal from the perspective of the Joker the way Heath Ledger did to kind of get into his role. 
I don't know if I have the, the time or the mental capacity to actually do that. But I do have an idea for what you can do with something crazy involving barbecue. And this was like the very first thing that popped into my head when you pitched the idea to me, when you pitched this topic to me. My very first thought, I have no idea why, because I will literally never do this activity in my life, not even if you paid me a million dollars. And so you could never actually get me to do this. But in my estimation, the craziest barbecue-related activity one could possibly do would be to eat a barbecue sandwich while skydiving. Oh my gosh. You know, that the first thing that comes to mind, have you seen the video, and I'm assuming the guy's British because why not? Um, <laughs> because he, he's got a cookie or a cracker or something, and he goes to dip it in his tea, but he's doing it while skydiving, and the cup is at the bottom of a canyon. And he, what? He takes the cookie jumps off of the bridge, lands, you know, dives down just you know, far enough to where he can dip it in and it comes back up. I'm Is thinking, that skydiving or bungee jumping? Uh, bungee jumping. You're right. I got him confused. <laughs> no, okay. So I, I would actually try bungee jumping. I, I, would, I would try that. Um, but, I, I, like, if you paid me a million dollars, I would try bungee jumping. And I would totally dip a barbecue sandwich in barbecue sauce at the bottom of a canyon and then come back up and eat it at the top of the jump. That's absolutely, like, something I would try. Probably once and with disposable pants, but I would try it. But um, I, I think for me, I don't even know if it's, like, physically possible. I don't even know if, like, all those G-forces pressing against your face, if it's even safe for you to try and eat anything while you're free falling thousands of feet in the air. Yeah. I just put a link I, to the I, video I'm talking about in the chat. <laughs> for I just What's I, I I don't know if that's something that I would actually physically be able to do. But I if if it was something and it would be like good for the like for the for the views, I would try to eat barbecue while skydiving. I think that would be one of the craziest things you could do. With barbecue. That, Our friend George in the chat has a really cool question, but I, I'm going to let you follow up before we follow up with him. No, no, it's fine. I was just going to say, like, I think that would be insane. Like, you, you have, you have, like, I don't know. I think the crazy thing would be to do is, like, to have a full meal. You have it in a bag or something. Right. And you have the drink. You have the, the, the sandwich. You have the barbecue sauce, everything. And your challenge is to eat it all before you hit the ground. So, I mean, here's the deal, dude. I have seen videos of people having weddings while skydiving. Yeah, it happens. The entire wedding party just jumps out of a fully functional plane. They create a giant circle together. The minister and the groom and the bride are in the middle of the circle. And he, like, points to the groom and he nods, points to the bride and she nods. And then he, like, claps his hand or something and they kiss. And they get married in the middle of a controlled freefall. If you can have a wedding while skydiving, surely you can eat a bite of barbecue while skydiving. Yeah, yeah. And see this guy that I was talking about, this British guy who who, who dunks his biscuit while bungee jumping. Um, he got you know recognition by the Guinness Book of World Records for his feat. And I'm thinking, well, Guinness, get on this. 
you know, the first barbecue sandwich ever consumed, or at least bitten out of, <laughs> mid-flight, in the middle, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the sub-atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, maybe like the tallest bite or the highest bite of barbecue known to man or something like that. It'd be a lot easier than getting the Mount Everest, let's put it that way. Yeah, that's very true. I don't think I could eat barbecue on Mount Everest because I don't think I could climb Mount Everest. People die climbing Mount Everest, my dude. Do not recommend. That's that's not something that I would want to do. But our friend George sent us a question that I might actually try uh, just because I'm a Texan and I'm weird like that. Would you ever barbecue rattlesnake, Ben? He asks. Oh, not me. <laughs> no, no, that's a quick answer. Um, I, I know <laughs> some people would. I, I've heard of rattlesnake being a thing, um, but not me. Um, but yeah, that's. I mean, I, I mean, we live in America. They'll, they'll, you'll, they'll cook and eat anything here. <laughs> like so, it's not not out of the realm of possibilities. No, it's it's absolutely not. But uh, here, here's the thing. It depends on the qualifications, the requirements to do it. Like, are you just giving me rattlesnake meat and I have to barbecue it? Or are you giving me a live rattlesnake and I have to kill it, skin it, peel its meat off, clean it, and prepare it? Yeah. If I, if yeah, I have yeah, to, like, yeah. go to an actual rattlesnake roundup and mess around with a live rattlesnake, hell no, I'm not nope. going anywhere near that. Nope. All aboard but if the it's Nope like, train. Yeah, to Nopeville Station, yeah. But if it's like just handing me the cleaned, ready-to-go meat and I am just slow cooking it and putting it with like a rub and some barbecue sauce, I would try it. I think I would try it just to say that I have had rattlesnake before because I haven't yet. But I that that's still kind of a gray area for me. I would probably need to be paid about a thousand bucks before I would do that. <laughs> hey, I'll do anything for a thousand bucks. I don't know if I'd do anything for a thousand bucks, but I would try barbecued rattlesnake for a thousand bucks. Would you would you try barbecued rattlesnake while jumping out of an airplane? That would require a million and a thousand bucks. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but there's always some sort of addendum involved, but, uh, you know, it's all in fun. And I definitely had a lot of fun on this episode of the IPC podcast. A quick thank you to a few people before we go. Our patrons, Joey Mays, Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Parker Ott. You guys are the ones that make this show possible, and we cannot thank you enough. If you want to become a patron, then go check us out at patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast to get in on all the fun. And get your name heard pretty much every time the episode airs. Anytime there's a new episode, we're pretty much saying thank you to people who help make it possible. So if you want to get in on that and you believe in the stuff that IPC does, then please go and check that out. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can find them on iTunes and Google Play, but you can also find them on StarWarsUnderworld.com. They are the official partner of the IPC podcast. And you can also find every episode in our library at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Com. I almost said ipcpodbean.podcast.com. <laughs> a lot, that's not right. There's a lot of peas in there. There's a lot of peeing in there, and it's probably not a good idea that I really actually need to, you know, pee. So uh, let's go to <laughs> tpublic.com, not pee tpublic.com slash user slash ipcpodcast to find all of your IPC swag, gear, and merchandise. Uh, That is our official place for the moment, but there are a couple other places we're looking into. But if you want shirts, if you want mugs, if you want 
throw pillows, if you want tote bags, if you want stickers, you can find all that and more at tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. Nice. Whew. Ben, any final thoughts before we say goodnight? Um, other than I really enjoyed watching this movie, discussing this movie, getting to talk about what we talked about, and I can't wait to do it again because inevitably we will talk about it again at some point. In, a, in about another 165 episodes, I imagine, we'll start thinking, hey, what's something that we haven't talked about that we want to do a throwback yeah, with? Every 160 episodes, yeah, we should definitely plan on it. <laughs> so 229 plus, uh, let's say, just 160 to round down a little bit. That'll be around episode 389. So mark your calendars. There you go. Mark your calendars, folks. We're going to be approaching 400 episodes, and we'll talk about this movie again. <laughs> But for now, I think it's time to call it a night. Episode 229 is now officially in the books. For Ben Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next week. But until that time comes around, I just want to leave you all with this closing thought. Understanding is honoring the truth beneath the surface. And we can't wait to see your head surface back up as you listen to next week's episode of IPC. Until then... Good night, everyone. Serious.